week. We thank Pastor James for his faithful labor in the pulpit, and we will be uh, returning to our series in 2 Timothy uh, next week and concluding that time uh, in that wonderful book. Uh, This morning, I have the privilege of opening God's Word for you, and if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and our scripture reading is going to come from verses 28 to 37. John chapter 1, verses 28 to 37 will be our scripture reading. And the title of this morning's message is Jesus, Lamb of God. Jesus, Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verse 28. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me To baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. If I were to ask you to summarize the gospel message with one single verse, what verse would you choose? If you had 30 seconds to share the gospel with someone and you can only give one verse, what would that verse be? I think for many of us it might be John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or for many of us, we might choose 1 Timothy 1.15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. I want to give you a third option this morning. John 1, verse 29. This is how John testified to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the gospel in one verse. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It is a verse so powerful that J.C. Ryle has written, it ought to be printed in great letters in the memory of every reader of the Bible. Spurgeon said that it is the preacher's great task to cry, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in fact, Spurgeon was experienced with the power of this verse. Before one night when he was preaching, he did a sound check. And I guess he wanted to say something more profound than microphone check, one, two, one, two. So to test the acoustics of the room, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, a workman who was in the building, heard him say that, went home, and was converted to Christ. 
It is the gospel in a single verse. Behold the Lamb of God. The call, behold, is a call to look, a call to attention, a call to turn your eyes away from everything else you're looking at and to fix your heart and your mind on the Lamb of God. And John says that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is not just taking away the sin for Jewish people. He's not taking the sins of a certain race or a certain class. He takes away the sin of the world. All those who would believe in Jesus will have their sins taken away and reconciled to holy God. John cries out not just once, but twice on two separate days to two separate audiences. For the first time is to a general crowd. Behold the Lamb of God. And the second time is to his two disciples. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. It was the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry to point people to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the way that he does that in these two verses is by saying, Behold the Lamb. Look at the Lamb of God. Gaze at Him. Trust in Him. Look to Him. And John would not only say that to his audience back in those days, but through the Word of God, God would call us to do the same this morning. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think it's very interesting that John, in this particular passage, didn't call people to behold, he didn't use the language of Messiah, behold the Messiah, or he didn't say behold the Savior of the world. He didn't say behold God in human flesh, but he used very specific imagery and a very specific picture to point people to Jesus Christ. He used the imagery of a lamb. And I want to take some time this morning to explore that imagery and explore that picture. And I want you to hear what his audience would have heard when they heard, Behold the Lamb. Because I think today in our Christian church, we've become so accustomed to talking about the Lamb and singing about the Lamb that we really have lost sight of what it meant and what those original hearers would have heard when John said, Behold the Lamb of God. A lamb, as we know, is simply a baby sheep. It's, it's like um, dogs have puppies, cats have kittens, sheep have lambs. And if you've ever seen a lamb, I'm, I know I'm talking to L.A., Orange County audience, most of us, we, don't, we didn't grow up with lambs, but if you've ever looked on Wikipedia and see a lamb or Google a lamb, you'll find that they're actually very adorable creatures. The sheep look a little bit difficult to love. I mean, they're big and they're dirty, but lambs are beautiful. A lamb was one of the animals used in the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find different animals being used for sacrifice. Bulls were sacrificed. Birds were sacrificed. Even pigeons were sacrificed. Turtle doves were sacrificed. But it's interesting, isn't it, how Scripture never calls Jesus the bull of God. Scripture never calls Jesus the pigeon of God or the turtle dove of God. It is very specific in identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. What does it mean? And what 
would John's hearers have understood? I want us to look together at three ways that the lamb metaphor is used in Scripture. Three ways that Jesus is the lamb of God so that your hearts may be fixed and focused on him. First, we're going to see Jesus, the Passover lamb. Second, we'll see Jesus, the sin offering lamb. And then thirdly, we'll see Jesus, the exalted lamb. Let's look at these three pictures together. First of all, Jesus, the Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And if you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. You may be familiar with this story. It's a story that's beloved and well-known and will help us understand what would have been in the audience of John's minds as they heard, Behold the Lamb of God. Exodus chapter 12, you pick up the story. Israel is in bondage to Egypt. They're being mistreated and oppressed by Pharaoh. God sends Moses to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. Pharaoh hardens his heart and says no. And so God sends nine plagues upon the land to break the will of Pharaoh. There's blood and there's frogs. There's gnats and there's flies. All of the Egyptian livestock die. People get boils. There's hail. There's locusts. And in the ninth plague, God sends darkness upon all the land. Pharaoh finally relents. He says, okay, your people can go now, but not a, you won't take your flocks. And Moses says, no, not a hoof shall be left behind. We will take everything with us. And God says, I'm going to send a tenth plague. This will be the plague which will break the will of Pharaoh. This will be the plague which will be the most devastating of all. And in Exodus 11, verse 4, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God says all of the firstborn of of Egypt will die. But God is going to preserve the households. Of Israel. How's he going to do that? Chapter 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. How is God going to identify the people of Israel from the people of Egypt? He says to the household of Israel, you're going to take a lamb. Each household is going to kill this lamb, which is innocent and undefiled and which looks blameless. And what are you going to do with the blood of that lamb? Verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And verse 11 says, It is the Lord's Passover. You 
kill the lamb. You take the blood. You put it on all three sides of the doors. And when God sees that the blood of the lamb covers the household of the people of God, he will recognize that this is the people of God versus the people of Egypt. He says it's the Lord's Passover. It's an interesting name. What does it mean, the Passover? Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here's the picture. Judgment is coming. Death is coming. Destruction is coming. No one will be spared. It is coming and it is sure. Condemnation is sure. But God says, in I, when I see the blood of the Lamb covering over your household, my wrath shall pass over you. And you will be safe while judgment falls upon the rest of the Lamb. It is the Passover. The imagery of the Passover was the imagery of an innocent Lamb being slain and blood identifying the people of God from the people of Egypt. It was such a dramatic demonstration of mercy in the midst of judgment that God commanded that Israel keep this Passover as a memorial. For generations, they would every year take a lamb and slaughter it. And they would remember the day in which Israel's household placed the blood of the lamb over their homes and was spared from the judgment that was to come. So verse 21, Moses says, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And verse 26 says, When your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? What do you mean? Why are we every year killing another lamb? You shall say to them, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. You can imagine that every time Israel celebrated the Passover, there were countless lambs slaughtered. It was a bloodbath every year as every household took a lamb and slaughtered it and there was blood everywhere and that blood would remind them of the day of great deliverance in which the blood of the lamb covered their homes and they were safe from the judgment that was to come. In Second Chronicles 35, it says that 30,000 lambs, imagine it, 30,000 lambs were slaughtered in memorial of the Passover. What would have John's audience heard 
when they heard these words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In their minds, they would have been used to the Passover. In fact, commentators say that this statement was probably close to the Passover. And fresh in their minds would have been the image of lambs being slaughtered to remember the day in which God's wrath passed over their homes because the blood of a lamb covered them and identified them as being the people of God. What would they have heard? They would have heard something like this. Behold, the true Passover lamb. Behold and look, the true lamb of God, whose blood truly identifies the child of God. They would have heard, this is the true Passover. Judgment is coming. Wrath is coming. There is a greater condemnation that will fall upon the entire world and all sins will be judged by a holy God. But here is the Lamb whose blood will be slain. And if you behold Him and if you trust in Him and if you believe in Him, God's wrath shall surely pass over you. Because He has provided the true Lamb. That all the other lambs in the Old Testament were simply a foretaste, an anticipation, a pre-shadowing of the true Passover. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.19 that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And Jesus himself understood that he was the true Passover lamb because on the night before he died, on a Thursday, he took his disciples and he celebrated the last Passover with them. And in celebrating the last Passover, he turned that into the first communion. And he said, he gave bread to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and said, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, no longer will you look back to the day when a lamb was slaughtered and his blood placed over your households. But from this day on, you will look back to the cross. You will look back to when the true Passover lamb was sacrificed so that God's wrath may pass over you. Brothers and sisters, will you hear God's call this morning to behold the true Passover lamb? Will you turn your eyes away from all the things that occupy your heart and your affections and would you fix your gaze upon the unblemished sacrifice which was offered in your place? Will you trust in the blood of this Passover lamb? And will you trust that even on the day of your death, when you face your final breath, that the blood of this lamb covers you? And that God's wrath 
will surely pass over you because of what God has done. Behold the Lamb of God. There was a second thing that John's hearers would have heard, a second way that the Lamb metaphor is used in Scripture. The first thing they would have heard is, Behold the true Passover Lamb. But the second way that the Lamb metaphor is used in Scripture is in the sin-offering Lamb. The sin-offering Lamb. Jesus is not only our Passover Lamb, but He is our sin-offering Lamb. You say, Dan, what do you mean by that? I mean that lambs were sacrificed once a year on the Passover, thousands of them at one time. It's sort of like we, we have... In our nation, turkeys, and they all are slaughtered on one day, Thanksgiving, for our American calendar. And on, in the Jewish calendar, they would have had one day, the Passover, in which countless lambs would have been slaughtered. But they would have also had lambs sacrificed year-round. Lambs sacrificed on a, year, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis as part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you're in Exodus, turn over a few pages to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus gets a bad rap as being one of the boring books of the Bible, but it's actually quite exciting if you understand what it was meant for us to, to do in our hearts. Leviticus reveals to us the Old Testament sacrificial system and therefore points out our need for Christ and foretells of the coming sacrifice which will be offered once and for all for our sins. In the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we find five separate sacrifices which were offered in the Old Testament system. We find the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. But among these five, I think we can most personally identify with the sin offering. Because we all know what it means to sin. And we all know what it means to wonder, what do I do with the guilt of this sin? What do I do with the weight of my sin? What do I do with my troubled conscience? How do I deal with my sin? In the Old Testament system, God said, when you sin, you shall come and bring a sin offering. You shall bring a sin offering to the tabernacle, which was like a big tent back in those days, which represented the presence of God. And Leviticus 4, verse 27 says, If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat. And verse 32 says, It can also be a lamb. Picture yourself this morning living under this system. You wake up in the morning and you're in a bad mood. Your mom or your dad says, get out of bed. Go clean the room and you have a bad attitude and you grumble and you say, why do you always have to be on my case? You walk out the door and you realize five, ten minutes later, oh, I sinned. I broke one of the Ten Commandments. I didn't honor my mother or my father. What do I do with the guilt of my sin? God says, you go take a lamb. You find a lamb without blemish, and you bring it to the tabernacle. You bring it as a sin offering. In verse 32, 
It says, if he brings a lamb as his offering for sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. The idea is this. You've sinned. You need to deal with your guilt. You don't know what to do, so you take a lamb. You bring it to the tabernacle and you place your hands upon this lamb. This lamb is looking at you like, what did I do wrong? It is innocent. It is undefiled. And publicly you place your hands on this lamb and what you're saying by that is, whatever happens to this lamb is what ought to happen to me because of my sin. And then you... Not the priest, but you, the text says, take a knife and you personally slaughter this lamb. Why? Well, because that morning you didn't honor your parents. And someone needs to die for that sin. God says, bring a lamb. There's blood everywhere. Verse 34 says, Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. You see that imagery of pouring out blood. It's not just a little bit of blood. It was, it was blood everywhere. In verse 35 says, All its fat shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. You get the picture what's happening here? It's a blood sacrifice. It is bloody substitution. It is an innocent life taking your place because of the sin that you have committed. But what happens when you go home that day? You go home and if you're like me, you sin again. Maybe on the way home you see someone's, some sandals that belong to someone or or some clothing that belongs to someone and you covet in your heart. Or you go home and you see your brothers or sister, you get irritated, you get mad at them. Or your parents get on your case again and you get grumble against them again. You break the, you dishonor your parents again. You sin again. And what does God's word say under this system? You sin again, you bring another lamb. You go back to the tabernacle. You lay your hands again upon another lamb. You kill the lamb, blood everywhere again. You go home, sin again, take another lamb, bring it to the tabernacle. Kill it. Blood everywhere. And you can imagine that there were just lambs being slaughtered day after day, week after week, all around the clock with people saying, I've sinned and someone needs to die for my sin. And so I shall bring this innocent lamb as a sacrifice for my sin and blood will be the payment for what I've committed. Can you imagine living under this system? Can you imagine day after day, not just for a day or a week, but years living under this system where you sin, you bring a lamb. You sin and there's blood. You sin and an innocent life dies. What would be in your heart 
what would you experience in your heart? I think you would experience much teaching in your heart. God would be impressing upon your heart your need for blood sacrifice, your need for blood substitution, your need for atonement. And yet at the same time, there would be a sense of futility. Because no matter how many times you sin, there's always more sin that you commit. Because no matter how much you sin, there's more sacrifices that need to be made. Every day you come and you kill lambs and then you realize tomorrow I'm going to have to kill more lambs. Because I'm going to sin again tomorrow and there's no end to this sacrificial system. Lambs will have to die every single day of my life because of my sin. But what also go on in your heart is a feeling of these are just the sins I remember. What about the sins I don't remember? These lambs can never truly take away sin. And that's exactly what Hebrews tells us. That the blood of lambs and goats can never take away sin. What was God doing in the sacrificial system? He was pointing men forward to the day in which He shall provide the true Lamb when He shall provide the true sacrifice, when He shall provide once and for all the blood sacrifice, the blood substitution, who once and for all shall atone for sin so that no further sacrifices need to be made. With that in mind, what would John's hearers have heard? When they heard, Behold, the Lamb of God. They would have heard the fulfillment of generations. They would have heard the fulfillment of centuries. They would have heard that after centuries of offering these animal sacrifices which can never truly take away sin, here He is. He has come. This is the Lamb, the innocent, blameless life who shall be sacrificed once and for all, ending all further sacrifices and making atonement for sin. They would have heard, here is not only the Passover lamb, but here is the true sin offering lamb. On the cross, Jesus bore the guilt of our sin. He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then in giving up his life, he said possibly the sweetest words that a guilty sinner has ever heard. He said, it is finished. It is finished. No further sacrifice, no further atonement, No further death needs to be paid. It is completed. And all there is left to do to be forgiven of your sin is to behold. To behold the Lamb of God 
It takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, what I'll ask you this morning is simply this. Are you still trying to make atonement for your own sin? Are you still trying to self-atone for your own guilt? Are you still trying to say to God, I know my sin is great, but I'll make up for it. I'll have a good week spiritually. Or I'll do my Christian duty. Or I'll serve. Or I'll do these works. And then I can work my way into your presence. What John would say to you this morning is, No, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believe in the blood of the Lamb. Trust the blood of the Lamb. Bring this blood sacrifice into the presence of God and He will not turn you away. But if you bring your bloodless sacrifices into God's presence, your bloodless sacrifices of works and legalism and moralism and your own efforts to gain your way into God's favor, God does not accept those sacrifices. And like Cain, he will turn away the bloodless sacrifice. But he will accept the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb. Spurgeon said this, Jesus is the chief of all sacrifices by which atonement is made for sin. There is only one sacrifice for sin. There never was another and there never can be. God hath respect unto any man who brings this sacrifice, but unto any who bring a bloodless sacrifice unto them, God hath no respect and never can have. Take the Lord Jesus Christ to be yours by faith. Bring Him to God. You must be accepted if you bring Christ with you. The Father never repelled one who was clothed with the Son's righteousness or who pleaded the Son's merit. Come with Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, and so coming, you shall be acceptable before God by faith. Whoever resteth in Jesus as the true and only sacrifice is accepted in his faith. Is there wrestling in your heart with unresolved guilt? Are you wrestling this morning with a legalistic heart which seeks to earn its way before God, John would say to us, Behold the Lamb of God. Trust Him. Believe Him. Rest in Him. And God will accept you. We've seen two ways that Jesus is our Lamb of God. We've seen that Jesus is our Passover Lamb whose blood identifies us as being God's people so that the wrath of God passes over us. We've seen that Jesus is our sin-offering lamb who once and for all made the final atonement for sin. But our look this morning would not be complete unless we saw a third way that this metaphor is used in Scripture. And that is in Jesus, the exalted lamb. Jesus the exalted Lamb. And if you have your Bibles, turn over to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. We understand now what John's 
hearers would have heard when they heard, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would have understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Passover lambs that had been sacrificed in Old Testament history. They would have understood that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the sin-offering lambs that had been offered in Old Testament history. But if I could be so bold as to say that we understand the lamb imagery in even a greater way than John the Baptist understood. Even a greater and fuller way than even John the Baptist would have proclaimed. Because as New Testament believers, we've been given the fullness of New Testament revelation. John would have seen that Jesus is the lamb who's come to die. He would have seen that Jesus is the lamb who offers his life as a sacrifice for sin, he would have understood that Jesus didn't come to be a good example merely or to set good standards or to teach good morals. He came ultimately to offer his life as an atonement for sin. But as New Testament believers, we understand that this lamb metaphor doesn't just apply to Christ's first coming, his coming of Suffering and humiliation and death. But it also applies to Christ's second coming. But it surprise you to find that the imagery of Christ the Lamb is used more times in the book of Revelation than it is any other time in Scripture. We would assume that once Jesus comes again in His glory and in His judgment and in His second coming of wrath, that this lamb business would be tossed aside. I mean, the lamb metaphor applies to Jesus dying and Jesus suffering and Jesus being humiliated, but the second time he comes in glory and in power and in judgment and in wrath. So let's just toss aside this lamb business and let's get to Jesus being the lion who judges and who rules and who reigns and that lamb picture, that's for his first coming, but it's not for his second coming, right? Revelation 5, 6, speaking of Christ in his glory. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Revelation 5.11 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and the might forever and ever. Revelation 6.16 Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For their great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Revelation 7, verse 10, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 14, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 8, verse 1, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Chapter 12, verse 11, They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 13, The book of the life of the Lamb that was slain. Chapter 14, Verse 1, I looked and behold, stood 
the Lamb. Chapter 14, verse 4, it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. Chapter 19, verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Chapter 19, verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 21, verse 9, come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Chapter 21, verse 22. The city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. In verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation says to us, this business of Jesus being the Lamb, and it only applies to His first coming. And then we toss that metaphor aside. Let's put that aside. He is the Lamb who was slain. And in heaven today, they proclaim, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And when Jesus comes again in power and wrath and in judgment upon this earth, they will say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Why? Because central to the history of man and central to our thoughts and our hearts for all eternity will always be the blood atonement, the blood substitution, the blood sacrifice which was made in our place for our sins. And when we get to heaven, we will not toss this aside, but for all of eternity, we will rejoice and give thanks and give praise for the Lamb of God whom John pointed to, whom all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to, whom all the Passover pointed to, he has come. And He has died. And He has been sacrificed. And this will be our boast for all eternity. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Chapter 22, verse 1. Brings all of this to a close speaks of the believer's future home in eternity. When it says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer would there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign 
forever and ever. Revelation would teach us is that Jesus Christ is not only our Passover lamb. He is not only our sin offering lamb. But He is the exalted lamb. He is the lamb who will one day come and end all rebellion upon this earth. He is the lamb who will be worshipped by countless multitudes in heaven forever and ever. He is the lamb who will cast Satan and his demons into the lake of fire and end evil forever and ever. And all those who have placed their faith in the blood of the Lamb will reign with Him forever and ever in a place without sin, in a place without sickness, in a place without suffering, they will worship the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Three people I want to talk to this morning as we draw our time to a close. First, the guilty. Have you come this morning with guilt in your heart? Have you come in... This morning with unresolved sin in your life? Have you come this morning with the weight of a guilty conscience? Dear brother and sister, take one look at sin and take ten looks at Christ. Behold the Lamb who was slain in order to make atonement for that sin. Cease trying to make atonement for your own sin. Cease trying to work your way back into God's favor, but trust in the sacrifice that He has provided by faith. Take hold of the blood of the Lamb. Bring it into God's presence and God will accept you. If you're wrestling with a guilty conscience or a guilty heart, God would urge you this morning to look out from yourself, to look out from your circumstances and behold the Lamb of God. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be as rule. Second, secondly, I want to talk to the weary. Are you weary this morning? Have you come this morning and you're tired? You're weary of temptation. You're weary of struggle. You're weary of sickness. You're weary of your sin. You're, you're weary of this world which is so inhospitable to your faith. You're weary of serving. You're weary of your trials. Have you come this morning and you're just tired? Brother and sister, I would encourage you from this passage, to take heart and to behold the Lamb of God and to behold the fact that He has paid for every single one of your sins, that He rules and reigns in heaven today, that He will be faithful to you and He will take you home to be in heaven with Himself. That His blood 
is more than sufficient to cover all of your sin. I would encourage you to to look up and to see the Lamb risen, triumphant, victorious, conquering, coming again. And as your eyes are fixed on Him to gain the, the strength and the endurance that we need for the week ahead. Thirdly and lastly, I want to talk to the procrastinators. Maybe some of you are here this morning, if you listen to this message, and you're saying, I understand what John says. He wants me to look at Christ. And I understand this teaching of the Lamb being sacrificed for my sin. But I'll look to Him later. There's plenty of time. I'll look tomorrow. I'll look after my schoolwork is done. I'll look after my taxes are filed. I'll look after my home is paid for. I'll look after my career goals is met. I'll look after my children are raised. I'll look after my work is done. After, after, after. There is plenty of time to behold the Lamb. And if you feel this way, I would plead with you this morning that John would call upon you to behold the Lamb of God and to behold Him today, right now, immediately, and to not delay considering the sacrifice that was made for our sin. Fictional stories told of how demons came to Satan and one demon said, I've told the world that God isn't real. And Satan said, That's not going to work. Everybody knows that God is true. Another demon came and said, I've told the world that the Bible is false. And Satan said, the Bible will take care of itself. What you've done is ineffective. And a third demon came and said, I've told the world that God is real and that the Bible is true, but that they have plenty of time to consider it. And Satan said, well done. By this lie, more souls have faced judgment. You see, John's call to his audience and God's call to us this morning is to look at Christ today, right now, to behold Him, to believe in Him, to savor Him, and to love Him. And I love how This verse ends in John 1, verse 36. John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then verse 7 says, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When you behold the Lamb who was slain for your sin, you will follow. Why? Because there's nothing better in life and to follow the one who has loved us so and given his life to save us from our sin. Let's bow in prayer together. As we close our time this morning, would you just take a moment to behold the Lamb in your own heart Thank God for the sacrifice that was made for you. And in your heart, would you reach out in faith 
and take hold of this sacrifice for yourself and trust in the sufficiency of what he's done.